Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We are podcasting a Bible class that is posted every Wednesday night at 6.30, the same time as our regular Bible class, Wednesday night Bible classes in the church building at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. We're podcasting these studies for those who cannot be with us in person and for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world as well. We're thankful to have the opportunity, the means, the ability to be able to do this. And in this way, through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts, we can spread God's word literally around the world. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us, study with us, meet us, get to know us. Let us get to know you. Worship God with us. Learn his word. Grow in faith with us. Grow spiritually with us. We encourage you to do that. Our Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, Sunday evening worship at 6 o'clock, and Wednesday night again, 6.30, every Wednesday evening for midweek Bible classes. You're always welcome. And if you're looking for a church that teaches the Bible, then we do encourage you to come and check us out because that's what we do. We simply want to be the church that we read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Now, we encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can in your life. You know people who need to turn their thinking around. They need to change the direction of their life. They need to come to God. They need to start thinking about their soul's salvation. Help them by sharing these studies with them all of the time. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But make the commitment to share with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can all the time. What a great blessing to help somebody get to heaven. A great blessing for them and a great blessing for you. Also encourage everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. And scroll down the homepage to the podcast button, click on that, and sign up for the podcasting. Now, that's free. It always will be free. We keep saying we're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will receive to their smart device our Wednesday night Bible classes automatically and our Sunday morning Bible classes automatically and all of our sermons plus a Monday through Friday daily radio program, Search the Scriptures. And and to me, this is a really great Bible study opportunity, getting us into God's Word, a daily, seven-day-a-week, short Bible study called Today's Bible Class. It's only about 13 minutes long every day, but it gets us into God's Word every day. And how blessed we are to be able to do that and to be able to be in God's Word every day. So people can listen on the way to work. They can listen on the way home from work, maybe on a break, maybe on a break at home from their chores. But that's an easy listening opportunity to get deeper into God's Word every day so that you can fit it into your schedule. So make that commitment and encourage everybody to go to our website, churchofchrist.com, sign up for our podcasting. And by the way, our church building, if you're in the Omaha area, is located at 3606 North 108th Street. 3606 North 108th Street. 
We hope to hear from you. We really do. Now let's get back into our study in Second Peter. And we've spent the last couple of sessions looking at one verse, basically, each. Verse 8 of chapter 3, and then last time, verse 9 of chapter 3. As I've emphasized over and over again, Peter's letters are rich in material, information, instruction, and encouragement. The same as with the book of James. That's a very short letter also, only five chapters, but again, very rich, and that is written to help the individual Christian in his Christian life. Well, First and Second Peter is, are, are both similar to that particular direction in what Peter writes down in these letters. But now, in this third chapter, we've seen that the richness not only continues, maybe it even gets a little bit deeper. Because in this third chapter of Second Peter, Peter is talking about uh, the coming of the Lord again. And he's talking about that coming to be a final day of judgment. In the first several verses, as we pointed out, he talks to the scoffers, those who are scoffing at the idea that the Lord's going to come again. When's that going to happen? Sun goes down every night. It comes up every morning. Everything's going on just the way it normally does, day by day, day by day, day after day, week after week, month after month. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've said the Lord's going to come again. You've said the final day of judgment's going to come. When? hasn't happened yet. Well, we pointed out that that those were scoffers in the days shortly after Jesus was on this earth, shortly after he ascended back to heaven, after his death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and then his resurrection from that grave, demonstrating that he truly is the Son of God and our Lord and Savior. He was triumphant over death. God raised him from the dead. He presented himself risen before multitudes of people. Well, only a short time thereafter, maybe, maybe 20 years or so, Peter writes this letter, and they're already scoffers. Well, is it a surprise that there are people scoffing at the idea of the second coming of Christ, of a final day of judgment, of eternal punishment in hell for the, for the unbelievers or the unfaithful, uh, those who are disobedient to God through his teachings? Well, certainly there are scoffers out there today. There are outright atheists, and then there are skeptics and agnostics, and as, as I've said many times, really those are all about the same thing. In verse 8, Peter reminds those scoffers, and of course he reminds us today as we read this. He says, you know, time has no meaning for God. God is eternal. He's without beginning. He's without ending. God is always, and you can say that as a statement, a finite statement, God is always. And so a thousand years is as a day for God, or a day is a thousand years. Now, again, I cautioned us that we don't take that in a literal kind of application and say, okay, every thousand years equals one day for God. Now, Peter could have said 10,000 years is as a day with God. He could have said 500 years is as a day with God. What is the point he's trying to make is there is no time as we understand time in regards to God and how he sees time. He's eternal again. We, can, we measure time in finite ways 
because we're finite individuals, creatures, beings. We have a beginning. We have an end. We be, we're born into this world. We're going to die. But now, God always is, always has been, always will be. Time has no meaning for his eternal nature. When we think about our souls now, and there's a different perspective because God has created us with an eternal soul, and that will be time without end. But God goes even beyond that. He, was, he is time without beginning. And so Peter reminds them, you're talking about, you're talking about the, the, the spiritual realm. You're talking about the supernatural, and you're making human and physical and worldly uh, considerations and applications to what we've been teaching you. They said, you've got to let go of that. God is eternal. Time has no meaning with him. In our last time together, we looked at verse 9, and we talked about how God is patient and long-suffering with us. He's giving us time to come to repentance, and that figures into that period of time that the scoffers were bringing up and saying, hey, sun comes up every morning, sun goes down every night, day by day, week by week, year by year, everything's going on all the same. And Peter is saying, look, look, again, time has no meaning with God, and God is giving us time. He's giving mankind time to come to their understanding that God is God, and we need to recognize him as our creator, and we need to worship him, and we need to recognize his son, Jesus the Christ, as the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. And so God is being patient with us right now. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. But now our coming to repentance is key and required in the eyes of God. Now, let's move on to verse 10. And all of this flows together. In verse 10, Peter goes on and says, but, now that's a word of transition, okay? So the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, that is patient with us, not willing that any should, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is giving us time learn his word, to learn his will, to learn the gospel, and to let that move us to repent of our sins and come to him through Jesus Christ. In repentance, confessing our faith in Christ as God's Son and our Lord and Savior, and being baptized, at which point the blood that Jesus shed on the cross will cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. We'll be saved, and we can look forward with expectation to eternal life with him in heaven. But the very next verse, there's that word again, transition word, but. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, He's talking about the final day of judgment there. The scoffers were saying, ah, yeah. And, and essentially, they, 
they were probably suggesting by their scoffing, why believe all of this? So Peter says, uh, time has no meaning with God. You're trying to put a timeline on God's will, on God's work, and that won't work. And God is being patient with you and with all of mankind, giving us time to come to our understanding that we need to repent and turn to him through Jesus Christ, our Savior. But the day of the Lord, the day that the Lord will return, will come. That day is coming. And it will be a surprise. Peter simply likens it, it's coming as a thief in the night. Now, what did, how do we relate to that? We don't expect a thief to come in the night. But if a thief comes and breaks into our home in the night, it catches us by surprise. We're not expecting that, especially on any given night. Well, people are going to be caught absolutely by surprise when the Lord does come again on that final day of judgment in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And I believe we're looking at the clouds, our atmosphere, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. This earth will be burned up. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, Peter says. Burned up. Interesting. Now, we can deny truth all day long. It's foolhardy because denying truth does not stop it from being truth. We can believe in falsehood for the next 20 years. It does not make it truth. But those are, those are exercises that humanity goes through on a regular basis. There are people who continually, in different, as, as in regards to different matters, they deny the truth. Well, I don't believe that. Well, whether you believe it or not, if it's the truth, it's the truth. It is. It does not have to have your agreement for it to be the truth. You can believe something that is absolutely false. Again, for the next 20 years, that does not make it true. Does not make it true. Well, the fact that there will be a final day of judgment on which our Lord and Savior will come back to judge mankind is irrefutable. If we believe the Bible, and the Bible has stood the test of time and examination for thousands of years. Now, in Second Thessalonians, someone might think, well, well, this is a really stark kind of statement here by Peter. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth is going to be burned up. Well, the Apostle Paul spoke along this line also. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse, verses uh, 7 and 8, he said, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, 
taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same kind of language. Paul says the same thing Peter said. There is going to be a day of judgment. On that day, our Lord's going to return to judge mankind. And on that day, God is going to destroy this earth with fire. Now, he already destroyed the earth one time. He did that with water in the days of Noah. And afterward, he hung the rainbow in the sky as a sign that he would never destroy the earth with water again. But he has said he's going to destroy it with fire. That will be that final day of judgment. Now, notice Paul talks about judgment on that day. In verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, when he says that the Lord is going to take vengeance on those first who do not know God. Now we can understand those who do not believe in God and also on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now these would be people who might say, well, I believe in God. They might even say, I believe in Christ as the son of God and our savior but they don't obey the gospel message that God sent Jesus to bring to mankind on this earth, the saving message of the gospel. You can believe something all day long, but if you do not act upon that belief in a positive way, that belief, whatever it is that you believe in, may have absolutely no benefit for you because you're not acting upon it. Now, think about as far as this earth being destroyed. Think about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9. And let me turn over there and get to that particular text. Mark chapter 9. And I want us to look at, uh, beginning with verse 42. And Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. He goes on and he says, and and he's not talking about literally self-amputation here, so let's get that. He's, He's using illustrative language. And he says, if your hand causes you to, to, uh, sin, cut it off. Well, your hand doesn't make you sin. He's simply talking about whatever it is in your life that might be leading you into sinfulness, remove that from your life. It is better for you to enter into into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Now, the word that is translated hell there in English is from the Greek word Gehenna, and that literally means the place, the eternal place of torment where the devil resides. The place, the realm of all of the lost. And so there's Jesus's reference to that place. It is a real place. And notice how he describes it. Into the fire that shall never be quenched. Their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now he goes on and he repeats it using another illustration. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better to enter life lame than, rather than having two feet to be cast into hell. To be cast into hell. 
And again, the word there is Gehenna, and that is the literal rendering of hell, the place of the lost, the place of eternal condemnation, the place where the devil is. And then he goes on and says again, where their worm, I'm not sorry, rather than having two eyes to be cast into, the, into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, what we're talking about here, as I understand it, and I believe this is accurate, we're talking about a place of eternal torment where it never ends. Revelation 21 and verse 8 refers to this particular place of punishment, hell, as the second death. But when we think of death, we think of something that brings life to an end, literally. But what we're talking about there, as Jesus describes it, is a place of eternal condemnation. The process, perhaps, we could think of it as of going through dying, but never becoming dead. In other words, that's where our eternal soul will experience the condemnation, literally, of eternal, have it, of eternally having missed that home in heaven, of the punishment, the judgment that God brings upon that disobedient, unfaithful, unrighteous person. The soul goes on eternally being punished, eternally suffering the consequences of their disobedience, their unfaithfulness to God. God loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us and for us to turn our back on God through lack of faith, disobedience, disrespect in those kinds of lifestyles. We probably have a difficult time really imagining how horrible that unfaithfulness, disobedience, disrespect on our part is. We're talking about deity dying for us in a physical form on that cross, and yet we just disrespect it by not living according to the saving message that that deity brought to us from heaven itself, the gospel of Christ. We need to wake up. There's going, there we go back to verse 9 in Second Peter chapter 3 again. God is patient with us right now while we're still alive physically, giving us time to come to our senses and repent to come to him for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. But we need to repent. He expects that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes about that day in this regard. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now understand that appearance being conditioned as the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We understand judgment. We understand being judged. We have a civil court system that 
does that all of the time. That's their responsibility. And we understand punishment through judgment for crimes that we may have committed. Well, the crimes that we might commit in this earth and the judgment that would ultimately be rendered in regard to those crimes, that does not really compare, when you stop and think about it, to the disrespect of disobeying God, of not accepting our Lord and Savior as our Lord and Savior, of not following God in the ways that he has laid out for us in the scriptures, of being disrespectful of that eternal soul that God has instilled within each of us. And so we're going to have to give account. Heaven is the reward for the faithful, the righteous, the godly. Now that other place, Gehenna, hell, is the consequence for the ungodly, the unrighteous, the unfaithful. We understand suffering the consequences of our unrighteous acts from a civil perspective as human beings on this earth. That simply can be thought of as an illustration for what awaits us if from the spiritual perspective we are disrespectful to God, we are disobedient, we live an unrighteous life spiritually. Nothing that we would experience in this world by way of consequence for our crimes would begin to compare with what we will experience in eternity in hell for our spiritual disobedience, ungodliness, wickedness, sinfulness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your word, not only to make us aware of the promises, the wonderful rewards, the blessings of being with you forever in heaven, but also to warn us that the devil is trying to lead us in the opposite direction and ultimately lead us into eternal condemnation in hell. Help us to open our eyes and help us, Father, to embrace your way for our lives so that we can also be assured of the blessings that you promise us in eternity. Gracious Father, please, please forgive us. Please hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.